This podcast is made possible by Vital Smarts, the Speak Up Experts. With more than 30 years of conversation research, three New York Times bestselling authors and over 3 million people trained, that's Vital Smarts. If you're struggling to hold a tough conversation in the office or at home, visit vitalsmarts.com.au slash DSTM to master your speak up skills and create an environment of accountability. That was a shot that rang around Australia, GWS. It's like little girl in the mum's costume box. They've got taffeta, they've got jewels, they've got sequins, feathers, tiaras. Just keep it simple, girls, keep it simple. And dare I say, was I right about the slits and splits? The Herald Sun have got more hits on this issue than the biggest stories of the year. They are absolutely dining out on it. Alan Jones just went off in a tirade of abuse about kids taking time off school. Really? It just makes me so agitated that people can't get with the program. Girls, this is bloody hysterical. <laughs> Train your man early. He's worth a kitchen full of time-saving devices. My <laughs> husband's party chores include being responsible for the drinks. I love having people do dinner. It forces you to tidy up. You get out some good recipes. You're thrilled that you've actually given the kitchen a go. And who doesn't like entertaining at home? You can just stagger off to bed. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Yes, welcome everybody to episode 102 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. It's grand final week in Melbourne and I'm sitting here with my dear friend, Corrie Perkin. Corrie, welcome to the show. Great to see you here again. Great to see you here, Caro, with a little bit of a scratchy late night Brownlow kind of voice. I was going to say this is a grand final edition. This is the post-Brownlow edition of Don't Shoot the Messenger. Um, we've we've got lots of lovely news, lots of stuff to talk about. It's not all football. It's a little bit of football. We've got some beautiful homegrown poppies from Miss Jane to remind us that it's spring. And we have a special guest, Corrie. Would you like to introduce her? I would indeed. When Richmond is facing another premiership possible win, who better to have in our midst than Anna Barry? Anna from the Op Shop. Hi, Anna. Yay! <laughs> Arr, the tigers are all. Give us a good roar, Anna. As, no. as we keep hearing um, and have all week, there's a big, big sound from the west of the town, and it's, it's called the Western Sydney Giants, Corrie. It's, it's big. Are we getting a bit nervous, Anna? I think we are getting nervous. I think we really need to take them seriously. It's so not in the bag. I can't take it. I can't take a team seriously that, first of all, has such a weird song. There's a big, big sound from the west of the town. It's the sound of the mighty giants. Feel the ground is shaking. The other teams are quaking in their boots before the giants. And secondly, you know how we can roar for tigers or, you know, meow for pussycats or stuff like that. Like, what do you do for giants? Well, well, I, I love the whole Russian sort of Cossack thing. Um, I actually listened to an interview from the guy from the Cat Empire who wrote the song. Apparently he hasn't made a whole lot of money out of it, but he's very proud of what he's done. And it's the battle of the theme songs. I mean, they're the two best theme songs in the AFL, I reckon. Mm. I think it, I, I love it. Yeah. No, I think it's got that real upbeat. Do you think? Now, oh, we're, we're, it must be me. We're digressing, girls. Mm. It's spring. It's grand final week. Anna has some massive news on the op shop front. Corrie, you've got a book. Anna's got a good local tip. We've got heaps to talk about. And Anna's been to see the movie that we keep meaning to see mm. but haven't got to. And her review of Downton Abbey is also coming up. In the meantime, though, Corrie, before we move to our first issue, just a couple of lovely, lovely pieces of feedback. Jan- Janice Stanton on Instagram, a crossover listener. She loved our pod mash with the girls from the Outer Sanctum. And I did run into Lucy and Emma last night, Corrie. At, not only at the Brownlow, they were headed for the after party as well. They both look beautiful and they've had a lot of great feedback from coming on the show. So um, that's nice to hear. I just loved last week's episode. I thought it was so much fun to be sitting there with all of you intelligent women talking about football. Uh, what a joy. What fun. And, and they did look great in black. I saw a photograph of them both. They both look stunning. Not to mention yourself and your daughter, Clementine. So, Caro, I asked Clem to take a, photo, a few photos and snaps and things so she could send me. There I was at home, and I'd probably like you in my trackie with the socks on watching it. Ditto. And, and so suddenly <laughs> Clem sends me a few photos for the Don't Shoot Pod Instagram account, which is now over a 1,000 people, Caro, so we've got everyone back, which is great. 
Anyway, I posted a couple of things, put the phone down, continued with the glass of wine and the Brownlow watching. All of a sudden, my phone has gone into meltdown. Like, 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 like. And Miss Jane, <laughs> Miss Jane, yours was the same too because you and I are the only two who can access the Instagram account. I must admit I wasn't watching the Brownlow and was like, what is happening on my phone? <laughs> I have it on silent, but it's like flashing and binging and, oh, ladies on the red carpet. Oh, <laughs> and so when we talk about lovely feedback from, I mean, Caro, you have so many people out there who reckon you're a hottie. Well done, you. I, I think Clem would have um, won in those stakes, but it was funny. Big night. Clem had organised a friend who was also a makeup artist to come to the home. Joe, our old friend, Corrie, she's not really a slave. She's a dear friend, came round for the <laughs> traditional pre-Brownlow champagne and drive us to the Brownlow. Um the night unfolded. We did everything. We did the red carpet. We did photographs. She spoke to coaches, told off coaches, told off journalists, <laughs> got, got, you know, did a post with Dustin Martin for a photograph and a just for you, for her godmother. And we get into a cab at about one thirty in the morning and she just climbs in and goes, we nailed it. <laughs> Classic Clem. <laughs> we nailed and, it. Anna, do you think she might be her mother's daughter? <laughs> oh, not a chance. Oh. <laughs> anyway, so look, it, it was a big night. It was, he was a good winner. And even though he, it was obvious two or three rounds out that he'd won Nat Five, I must say it was pretty exciting because five or six great champions all in the top six including Dustyanna, who, you know, know. if what might have been had he not had that moment of madness against, dare I say, GWS I know. early in the season. Caro, there's a couple, there are a couple of other uh, lovely messages. One I wanted to highlight uh, from David and Robin Everett. This was on our Facebook page, loving the podcast. Thanks very much. And they say the book, TV and film recommendations are very insightful and helpful. In the last few weeks, we have been watching Designated Survivor. Oh, Corrie, I'm addicted. I, I know. Am addicted. I'm so it's... glad. I'm so glad I got the Netflix part of that, <laughs> that review right. Brendan and I just can't believe it. The twists and the turns. It's a ripper, isn't it? Yep, yeah, really good. it's really good. So, look, thanks, everybody. Uh, and uh, the lovely people who have been coming into the bookshop again to say hello. There have been quite a few of you. I just wanted to say a big collective thank you so much. It means such a great deal to have people running into the you know local small bookshop saying good day because they listen to the podcast. And David and Robin recommend The Nightingale, a brutal and confronting but outstanding Australian movie. Anyway, more of that later. Now, Corrie, just a quick chat on the preliminary final because it is footy's ultimate. I did want to ask you about your September challenge, but maybe the challenge is getting through to the grand final. You've done that. You've achieved it. Yes. Um, the, the September challenge is to cook a different recipe. No, no, Caro. What you've had it? too many. Ex- oh, no. Home improvement. Espresso martinis. I, I actually didn't. I didn't. I stuck to one beverage all night and that was champagne, Corrie. Um, <laughs> Um, no. So Chris Scott noticed when you took his bottle, or he took your bottle. <laughs> the plasterer, the plasterer is coming to fix up the leaking roof and the problem in the ceiling next week. I'm pleased about that. It was last time I was around at your place, there was a bowl in the living room floor with the water going drip, drip, drip. Let's just say, we're doing. There are plans to put the laundry in a different position, but there's um, a few meetings to be had before that happens. <laughs> mainly, mainly with Brendan. Oh, that was Clem's other big um, plus at the Brownlow. When we went to the after party, they went through the names. I said Caroline Wilson, yes, and then they looked at Clem. She said Brenda Donahue, and sure enough, <laughs> yep, go on, in you go. I mean, more front than Myers. Seriously, oh, we'll start calling her Brenda. Now. I'm calling, definitely calling the goddaughter Brenda. Preliminary finals, Anna, of football's ultimate cautionary tale. They never, ever work out the way. And even in Hawthorne's great eras, Corrie, in the great era you had, you just limped over the line a couple of times. Oh, and a number of prelim finals that we did, you know, that we collapsed. So, Anna, so. you were sitting with your mum and my mum and I, Clementine. I did. I had the gorgeous squad, some seniors. And Clem, so you can imagine Clem straight to the bar. We didn't see her till <laughs> after half time, so it was myself and the seniors. And we were particularly glum, and it was a fairly grim first half, but obviously you you we came. How, how, how did you both feel at half time? Did you, did you think they can come back from here because that's what they have done for no. the last back half of the season? Jules said it's the Tigers prelim. Hoodoo. She was completely glum. So no one to one. It's become a tradition after one loss. <laughs> we did not have one thing to eat. We had no chicken sandwiches, no smoked salmon sandwiches, no date and walnut, no Aunt Moles tutti fruity, not a drink, not a coffee. We just sat there for the entire game, completely glum. 
Clem said, Mum, they didn't even go to the bathroom. They couldn't move. We, we they couldn't were move. so tense. Well, also, you were very high up. You're a bit scared of moving, I would imagine. <laughs> My daughter, Ruby, had very kindly got us the tickets. And believe it or not, for the first time ever, we were three rows from the roof. At the top of the G. I have never... Mum said she couldn't stand up for the... um, um she National yeah, anthem. At the anthem. She was scared she was going to come tumbling down. Even Clem claimed it was a workout. She was a mountain goat but Anna getting said, up. But Anna said it was good tactically because you could actually see strategically what the coaches were doing. It's like you were from Anna's face. It's a bird's eye view, literally. <laughs> totally. I would never go there again. But then we said, when we'd won, best $10 we ever spent. Jules saying she was going there next year. So, no, we actually we got the cam- camaraderie up and running after half time, but it was fairly grim. The comeback came pretty quickly, Corrie, even though they didn't actually hit the lead to later in the third quarter. Those two early goals, that amazing tackle yeah. by Trent Cochin, the goal by Tom Lynch, etc. But Chris Fagan, your old head of football at Hawthorne, was at the function that I was at, the Brisbane coach. And at half time, I said, Oh, what do you think? And he said, Look, who knows? But it's so typical that the team who's had a lot of time off starts out looking a bit leaden and the team who's got the momentum, Geelong, come out and play the way they did. But he made two points. He said Geelong have played all over Richmond and there's still only three goals up, Mm -hmm. which is a positive for for Richmond. And he said, and I'm not sure that they can keep up this brilliant form in the second half once Richmond find their feet. And, of course, that's exactly what happened. So the, the big The big upset, though, was the next day. I mean, that that was a shot that ran, ran around Australia. GWS making their first and grand final. And the controversial final. goal, not a goal. Well, yes. Luckily, it didn't matter in the end because GWS still held on. But imagine if they hadn't. And, I mean, the Pies so thought they were in the granny, let's face it. They really did. So, I mean, it was who wasn't gripped to their television Saturday night when you should have been out, really, and you were just well, like, no, I, I can't get out yet. Well, I have us, to see the end of the game. Some of us were out. Some of I was, oh. I was with the family at Myrndal and there were, there were pre-dinner drinks happening no. and the television was on and it was so hard to get that balance of not wishing to be rude to new people who are arriving for dinner and just saying, I'm sorry, it's the 20-minute mark of the final quarter. We've just got to watch the footy. Totally. It was a bit difficult. It was, it was interesting because before the game, we did an outside broadcast for 3AW and Dave Matthews, who is the CEO of GWS, came in and was just pummeled by Tony Shaw about, because you know, the stuff about Toby Green and the mm. fact he was suspended. And I think Dave Matthews said, said it feels like we've been playing Collingwood all week because the match review officer, Michael Christian, Collingwood premiership player, two of the tribunal, ex-Collingwood, including Shane Wakelin, who had said a few weeks earlier on Roaming Brian on Channel 7, hopefully we can go one step further this year, about Collingwood in the Collingwood oh, rooms. how inappropriate. And then the tribunal that outed Tobes, which I thought, I wasn't really anti the decision. I actually don't think, didn't think that was the wrong decision myself. Can you imagine myself. if a judge in a, in a government jurisdiction came out and actually <laughs> said something like that? But Tony Shaw was yelling at Dave Matthews, you owe Collingwood an apology, you owe those men an apology. And anyway, it got very heated. And I thought they, this is their last fling, the Giants. Like they've come out swinging, but there's no way with all these players out they, they can win. They were absolutely magnificent, yeah. I thought. You know, a new newfound respect from many, many football goers, I would suggest. And a special cheerio to our friend Gabby Trainer, who is an AFL commissioner, but who was on the Giants' inaugural board and um, will be wearing a lot of orange at the grand final. I mean, <laughs> orange is a good theme for well, the parade, it, well, isn't it? Yeah, orange is, it? orange is one of those hot colours at the moment in the book publishing world. A number of new releases have orange or hot pink on the cover. So it's kind of like trend, on trend. But I don't know whether I'd be wearing a lot of orange. I think it's hard to be fashionable in orange. Hard to look thin in orange, oh. I think, unless you are actually thin. I wanted to ask both of you girls, what, what happens now with Geelong? Do you think that this current crop of players and Chris Scott, do you think they can go on and actually nail a flag in the next couple of years? I'm just thinking we were talking off air before about Gary, Gary Ablett. Will he go? Will he stay? I do. I do. I, I, I mean, I know they're pretty glum at the moment, but they did finish top of the ladder and no one mm. expected them to. And, and they at, had a great year. I mean, they were minor premiers. All year they were the best team by country mile. Well, Wouldn't you think? Well, I think they, they benefited from all those games at GMHBA Stadium, which they just always win. They'll have those yeah, again. They found some really good young players. They recruited a couple of um, players from other clubs who looked good earlier in the year. 
like uh, Dollhouse and Gary Rowan, not so much at the end of the year. And I love, that, I love that Brian Myers too. Oh. I was cheering for him. I found myself, even though I was hoping Richmond would win, I found myself cheering for him because he has such great attitude in a big game, you know, but I realised that I was calling him Brian for the first half Brian. of the Well, as you know, Corrie, his parents were playing Scrabble when Mrs. Myers was pregnant with Brian <laughs> and they had Brian and they played around with a few letters. Seriously. I didn't know that. That's how he got his name. We, we, when he got the Rising Star nomination, we interviewed him. I just felt like one of those idiots, you know, when you sing the wrong song lyrics for about five years until somebody taps you on the shoulder and says, actually. <laughs> well, the, the Tigers did rather target him, which um, Brendan, my husband, was getting in my ear about that, but he looks so dangerous. And he's going to be a great player. I mean, he's they'll so lo- young. They'll lose Tim Kelly, which is going to really hurt them. And he he did so well in the Brownlow this week. Um, but I think if Chris Scott can... can Maintain the rage. I wouldn't. I would say that that is a win, two thousand and nineteen for Geelong. And do you reckon, Caro, then that Collingwood? Can, do you think that? I love that expression, maintain the rage, because that's actually what you have to do. You have to kind of bottle it up, deal with it, and move on. Do you think Nathan Buckley's going to be able to do that with his players? Yeah, I do. I mean, they've got salary cap issues. They've got all those brilliant players, and they made some bad decisions. They paid Adam Trelaw a lot of money, and he's a good player. But that meant they had they got Tom Lynch, as my colleague Jake Nile keeps telling me, they get Tom Lynch, they're in the position Richmond is today. I'm not mm. quite sure about that, but they need a key forward. And Darcy Moore's looking fantastic in the one of the key back positions. Now he's healthy. But they have to keep Brody Grundy. They've got all these good players coming out of contract, Moore, Grundy, etc., and to keep them all is going to be tough. So if we move to this week's grand final, who would you girls rather be playing, Collingwood or GWS? I personally would prefer to play GWS because for some reason I think Collingwood just have it mentally over the Tigers. I think the Tigers are Why a better is that, team. do you think? I don't know, but you know how some teams... It's like the Hawthorne-Cats games. Why do the Hawks always beat the Cats even when they're way down in the ladder? It's just a psychological thing. And I think after the prelim last year, I think a raging Dugowie, I I would have been really fearful of the Pies. I think GWS can be really hard and they're an incredible team. What about you, Cara? Who would you rather be playing? Anna's bearing her psychological scars from the (laughs) preliminary final. I can't move on. Oh, look... I would have loved a Richmond Collingwood grand final. I would I'll have tell loved you what, the it's week. It'd be good for business. Half oh. the suburbs cleared out in the last couple of days. Oh, I would have loved the build up. Um, we're we're all trying to get tickets, obviously, to the big the big dance, as people say. I loathe that term, but I, but it, we're all trying to get tickets. So I think it's going to be easier for people to get tickets because Richmond are playing GWS, not Collingwood. But having covered from day one, I mean, I remember sitting in Mike Fitzpatrick's office the day he delivered me that amazing exclusive. We didn't deliver it. I was pummeling him about what his legacy is going to be. And he said, two new clubs. We're going to be an 18-team competition, one on the Gold Coast, one in the west of Sydney. I mean, from that day on, I remember going in the car with their first CEO and driving around Bankstown and Rooty Hill and Dale Holmes and looking at where the club was going to originally be. The, the, and the you re- would have been wondering, how can we convert this particular part of Australia, which has no connection with the game? And now, of course, particularly watching Brownlow coverage last night with that lovely young man who won the Jim Steins Award. Name escapes me. Stephen Cornelio. Correct. Thank you. But it was just so interesting to see how the, the neighbourhood, how the community has just locked on to this club. It's fantastic. Well, they're still not getting enough people at games. John Fain actually smashed them the chairman, Tony Shepherd in, in, in an interview last week on the ABC about, why do you even bother? I mean, you're still not getting big crowds at your games. And I don't think they're getting all the help they could get with their fixturing. They did, in the end, make the decision to move further into the Olympic Park precinct in Sydney because players just didn't want to be out there. It was too far west, which is a bit tragic because that was where they were trying to capture, you know, middle New South Wales, middle Australia. Um their, their facilities are great. They they feel like a footy club. They get angry that you know the the Toby Green scenario, the Lockie Whitfield scandal. There are so many times the loss of the academies when the big Victorian clubs like Hawthorne and Collingwood took them on and meant they they lost a lot of academy benefits. I really have enjoyed the ride, so that's why I'm thrilled that they're there, and I think it's a great story. So you've got the big traditional Victorian club against the new boys. 
I think they've copped it unfairly. I think they have turned themselves into a footy club, and I think they've done an amazing job. Dare I say, with a lot of ex-Tigers like Wayne oh, Campbell, totally, and um, and obviously Mark Williams was there, and then he came to Richmond. Simon Matthews, a Richmond executive, his brother Dave runs a club, so a lot of connections, mm, Corrie. A lot of connections. Where will you be watching the game, Corrie? Well, I I'll have the shop open till two o'clock, Caro. I have learned from past era. Essentially, the first year I was in business, nobody was in the street after two o'clock. So I just went, right, that's it. In future, we're closing at two. And our friend Jo, who you insist on calling our slave, (laughs) she just just gave me a buzz on the way here and said, we'll be watching it at our place uh, on the balcony with a view of uh, the Richmond environs. Do you want to come over? So I thought that was pretty good. Lock up the shop and I'll go over to Jo's. So that'll be fun. But what about you two girls? How will this week unfold for you both? Anna, you look kick off. Obviously, my week, much less busy than Caro's. But no, I'm just business as usual. Friday, friends, local, lovely Albert Park friends always have a lunch, which then goes into drinks for those that can't make the lunch. So I'll be there. But you won't be going in too hard, will you? I so won't be going in too hard. Pace yourself. Totally pacing myself. And then I actually, I don't even know how Saturday's going to unfold. I don't know if I'm going to go or watch it at home. I'm completely happy either way, but I'll be. Oh, so you haven't, you haven't acquired tickets yet? I haven't acquired a ticket as yet. What about your mum? No, mum wants to watch it at home as she did in 2017. So whatever happens, I'll be making the lunch as I did in 2017, driving it up to mum so we can have the same lunch. But I'm just a bit of an open book at the moment, just seeing how I roll. And are you feeling nervous or calmer this year? No, completely nervous. The same as 2017? Yeah, yeah, completely nervous, but fun. And Mm. it's, I mean, it's the best week in Melbourne. I absolutely love it. I mean, you know. Hands down over Melbourne Cup week. It's fabulous. I think more nervous because in 2017, I thought they could win, but they were real underdogs. Mm. This year, they're they're ridiculously yeah. short-priced favourites. Mm. I did go, Corrie, on Sunday. I went to um, lunch with some dear friends, Rick and Sal, who just got back to uh, from overseas on the other side of town. And um, Brendan, we were driving home and he sort of didn't comment on the fact that actually we weren't driving towards <laughs> home. We were driving towards um, Icon Park, Princess Park. I said, come on, second half, Tigers are in the VFL Grand Final. So we did the, we've did. we done the VFL Grand Final, which Richmond almost managed to lose. But It was pretty exciting. I saw oh, the end on TV. It was thrilling. It was thrilling. I we'll, do think Princess Park, just off topic for a second, is one of Melbourne's prettiest football grounds. Look, I love it there. It, it was, the joint was jumping. The local mm. environs of all the parkland around the Princess Princess Park precinct were full of kids and people kicking yeah. the footy. It wasn't the most beautiful day. The only thing is, why don't the AFL VFL make it a bigger event? Mm. I mean, I'm not complaining. By halftime, they'd sold out of coffee, chips, you know, everything. They'd had the women's grand final before that, which Collingwood won, the VFLW grand final. And I just thought, 13 and a few thousand, this could have been a much bigger, mm. much more promoted event. Anyway, so yes, the week started off well. So you have a few speaking engagements and other things this week, but how will your Friday night, Saturday morning unfold? No, very quiet Friday night this year. And um, Saturday morning, 3AW does an outside broadcast that's starting outside the ground. I think they're starting at 6am with Darren James. So I'm on between 12 and 2. I'm going to the AFL function in and the Olympic And do you have family room. members flying down from Sydney? Yeah, Mogs, my sister's flying down from Sydney. Um, at the, her sister, her daughter's doing year twelve, but she's is extricating herself from that. Just for a, I said, "What? When's your flight home?" She said, "Haven't booked one." Remember Anna two years oh, ago? Couldn't get her out of she, here. She, she wouldn't was, leave. No, she was oh, in the Richmond shop. She has, a, she has a daughter sitting an English exam. Come on, get home, you negligent mother. And what about your mum? Um, um, mum Julia. Has, mum has managed to get a ticket. I think she's booked a restaurant for the Saturday night because we were all wandering around at midnight two years ago with nothing to eat. We ended up in some all-night pizza joint in Chapel Street. <laughs> anyway, so look, it's a big weekend. I'm doing Offsiders on the Sunday and um, the same panel, I think, who did it two years ago were on as well. So I'm thinking, Anna, that's a good omen. A very good omen, Carol. Oh, stop it. Come on. Saw Kelly no Underwood omens. last. Saw Kelly Underwood at the Brownlow. I did remind her that after round four, she might have said that Richmond can't make the 
the finals because of all their injuries, which was probably fair enough back then. At the time. Look, I reckon both clubs, with all they've been up against, just to put a full stop on this, have done an unbelievable job to manage their sides to actually get there. And who knows what's going to happen on Saturday. But it will be huge, Corrie, and we'll do it all again next week. Well, I can roar, but I can't do giant steps. So <laughs> just... <laughs> now, I, I want to run this past you. So we'll start with Brownlow Controversy. Um, the, ca- the cartoon in the Herald Sun on Tuesday morning by Mark Knight is Nadia Bartel in her beautiful blue frock hosting the red carpet. And behind her is Jimmy Bartel, the husband she's estranged from, who's all these stories of... Various flings have been reported in the papers. He's lying crunched up on the ground. Basically, he's been kicked in the nuts, to put it brutally. What did you think of that cartoon? Mark Knight's had a few controversial ones in recent years. You know what? When it's a marriage breakdown like this and there are children and you've got a vehicle that is as vastly red as the Herald Sun, I think it's an, I think it's a no-go zone. I think it's just really bad taste and it's a bit like New Weekly last night posted on their Instagram account a picture of Nadia you know with the amazing legs and the amazing dress and says hashtag Nadia Bartel on her way to Jimmy Bartel's funeral aka hashtag Brownlow Awards Um, now this this is how you do a revenge body no, not really. She had a speaking gig organised. She had a gig with Channel 7 organised before the marriage breakup uh, became public, at, what, about six weeks ago, Carol? Eight weeks ago? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Yeah? I, I, just, I just think hands off. Hands off this issue. You know, it's just, it's just crass. The Herald Sun have got more hits on this issue than uh, the biggest stories of the year. They are absolutely dining out on it. And, you know, the posse of largely women reporters, and I'm not knocking them, I can understand why it's a story. You know, Jimmy was a great advocate for, you know, respect for women with his R-Watch position and he's a Brownlow medalist. He's a big name player. He's on the board of GWS. But I I think it's become over the top. And there's something a bit bit one-sided. The the violence again, if if that was the other way around, you wouldn't see a woman lying prone on the floor holding one of her nether regions. It wouldn't be published. No, no. Um, it's absolutely terrible. And and also she already had the gig. She always looks fantastic. It's not like she suddenly got the revenge body. I mean, the whole thing is it's just, just such a, a beat up. I absolute agree. beat up. And you're, you're right what you say, Carol, about if it was, a, you know, if you traded places men, woman thing. You know, Jimmy Bartell is a great of the game and he's a really nice mm. bloke. And he's had, he's, you know, th- there's a marriage breakup and it takes two people to fall in love and two people to fall out of love for whatever reason. Something's happened. It's nobody's business. There are children involved. And I don't think that Jimmy, this this image of Jimmy on the ground, just completely as though he's been um, emasculated, is a good message. It's gone. For, it's Unfortunately, it's everybody's business. I mean, he's been followed by, he's been papped all around town. He can't sort of... he. Uh, and he's starting to re- – he was saying to was someone – Was he there who- last night? Sorry to interrupt. Well, no. I did the Age podcast with him yesterday morning and I said, you're going to the Brownlow. <laughs> he said, probably give it a miss this year. And it is interesting because he is a Brownlow medalist and it takes me back to the first one that Chris Judd won. And remember that was when we all discovered Rebecca mm. Twigley, his beautiful girlfriend the at the time, in that amazing dress and the double-sided tape. And there were people who said to me that year, old footy heads, oh, I didn't like the fact that – his Brownlow was overshadowed by Rebecca in that amazing dress. Well, Rebecca's gone on to have an unbelievable career, as Nadia Bartel does. And I don't mind that. I think it's fine. But it is interesting that it, Nadia Bartel, the non-Brownlow medalist, but the wife of a Brownlow medalist or ex-wife is there Has become a story. At the Brownlow. But she was working. I mean, and, oh, and I thought she fine. did a really good job from the cheap seats at home. She was interviewing people. She was completely, you know, on but the ball. I don't agree with you, Anna. I, I didn't like her interviewing style at all. Oh, I like they, that. They'd drop something and she wouldn't, some, the people she was interviewing would drop an interesting fact and she didn't follow it up. She actually wasn't listening to what they were saying. You know, uh, No, I disagree. I thought she, I thought she was good. I mean, she didn't have that much time with each person. No, I, no, I thought she was okay. Did, well, you read, did any of you read the open letter to Jimmy Bartell that Susie O'Brien, that her son columnist wrote, it was very much you were my hero and I'm so disappointed in you. And then Wayne Ludby, former Herald Sun photographer, well known to Corrie and I, put on it on Twitter um, a, a comment about how the fish rots from the head and when, you know, gee, it's unusual for the Herald Sun to be pointing out people having affairs, you know, when they should be looking inside. And, oh, it was the most vitriolic. It, it's, got, it's got nasty. 
Mm. It's sort of gender wars via accusations of hypocrisy, people inside the Herald Sun writing about the Bartels who've been having affairs inside when they've been married. It's been quite... And so, I've only and, and been you know, shown all of this. And but. you know who's the, who is who is a loser in this as well? It's actually the Brownlow medal itself. And this is how I felt last night watching the red carpet, which we love. Anna, you and I are at home and we're completely obsessed and we're texting and, you know, what did you think of Jane Bunn's dress, yada, yada, all that stuff. But actually this is still about the great award of football. And uh, Jane was, Bunn's outfit was interesting. <laughs> No, we're not going to – we're only going to talk about ones we liked. We're going to talk about ones we liked. But anyway. I loved Lockie Neal's wife. I do have my my 3-2-1. Oh, okay. No, I'm I'm completely with you in the lilac. And we were sitting in their eye line, so every time Lockie Neal got a vote, Clem was in picture and had the perfect pose. (laughs) Sadly, part of my dress – you might have been able to see one of my brass straps in one shot, oh, which crook. was really disappointing. Crook look, Harrow. Surely that was tucked in. I have to airbrush that out, don't oh. you think? Jake's okay. wife had some double-sided tape, which Clem then tried to apply to my dress, but it went horribly wrong. It's another story. <laughs> so I, I just want to say something about Brownlow fashions. I don't know why the women who go along with the uh, with the chaps feel the need. So, so, so many of them feel the need to play the little girl. So they just, it's like little girl in the mum's costume box. They've got taffeta, they've got jewels, they've got sequins, feathers, tiaras. Just keep it simple, girls, keep it simple. And dare I say, was I right about the slits and splits? You were. Oh, my lordy. You were, although, although Emma Race did say to me at one point, what was the other thing you predicted? Was it bright colours? Yeah, but solid, solid colours. And like geometrics the, yeah, and things. Yeah. Yes, Emma, Emma sort of wondered whether that prediction had actually come true. No, but it was bigger at the Emmys, Caro. If you notice the Emmys, they yes, did a lot of that. Yes, so it's, it always takes Melbourne Brownlow girls a little while to catch oh, on with the trend. Rough. But I do also think that if you're going to wear a strapless dress, do think about the size of your bosoms. And I don't just mean if you have big ones, but even if you have small chest area, make sure the dress that you have is perfectly fitted, perfectly fitted, because there was a lot of gape, there was oh. a lot of loose... And for girls who were bigger in the bosom area, there was a lot of um, overflow, I felt, that was a bit unnecessary for an important football occasion. Whoa. Okay, no, so my th- so my three <laughs> my three two one three votes to Alex Pendlebury in Jane Hill. So Alex, of course, is pregnant. Um, she wore a black dress that had a mermaid tail bottom with a bit of a train sculptured around her body to include the baby. I thought she looked elegant and sexy and beautiful. She had like little strap, um, you know, sort of sleeves, not sleeves, but little straps to keep it all up. So now, she this is great. like our book club dilemma. Is three the best? Or? Three's the best. Okay, so she It's won. like a Brownlow she vote, got Caro. The like, it's the all Brownlow, right, okay. okay. Do, you, do you want me to explain how the yeah, Brownlow well, I know. Well, normally you'd go so from you're starting third to from first. I'm starting yeah. from the, yeah, from I'm the starting from the top. Okay, yeah, I'm not right. doing a Gillum. I'm starting from the top. Right. Number two, Marty Dangerfield, um, Paddy Dangerfield's wife. She looked beautiful in scarlet. But I was concerned that Paddy also had scarlet on and they clashed. Um, Paddy had a burgundy sort of a... a they, mo- they clashed. It, it was, was a purple a, velvet jacket yeah. with black Oh, it black looked lapels. like they were both in scarlet, but the scarlets were clashing. So he was in purple. It, yeah, Maroon. And Sam McClure actually had a similar velvet one on and they did a good pose. Oh, Sam's that's was double, yeah. I like the velvet. I don't I know said if you win, it'll, you'll be talked about like Graham Teasdale for years to come, <laughs> which he did think was quite funny. Uh, I was wondering who knows who Graham Teasdale is. And then I, I have to give a vote to Laura McLaughlin, Gillen's wife in that pale, almost nude pink. I thought she looked so beautiful. Honourable mentions to Sarah Roughhead. Elegant, sexy, simple silk to the ground, slip-style dress in a beautiful warm grey that really suited her. And Julie Neal, wife of Lockie Neal, in beautiful mauve Campbell Brown on Channel 7, described it as lavender, which got a laugh. Um, (laughs) But I thought that dress would have been quite plain, beautiful chiffon and so on. It would have been quite plain except for the beautiful, elegant chiffon tie around the back at the top. And I thought that just made, absolutely made the outfit. Daisy Pierce looked lovely in a scarlet Grecian-style dress, as did Nerily Meadows, who is Fox uh, presenter, but of course working for Seven. Yeah, I was she in the always looks with great. Nerily. She looked. She, she looked beautiful. beautiful, and also uh, Emma Lamb from Channel Ten. I got a quick look at her dress, and she looked terrific. I do have a list here of the outfits I was not crazy about, but I'm just not going to go there with that today because I'm in a good mood and I don't want to spoil anybody's. You know, what did you think, Anna? Look. 
I'm with you, Corey. I certainly won't be naming and shaming people. I thought look crooked, but there was a lot of leg, a lot of bosoms, and a lot of orange skin. And you know who you are. No, <laughs> bad look. Do not do it. I'm going from one to three. My one was actually Josh Kennedy's. Um, gorgeous wife in the yellow silk. Oh, she looked incredible. I, th- I think she always does. Is she Colombian? South American. She's yes. South American, but it's a big skin. colour. In a, I think if you're going to wear a big colour, you should wear less fabric. That would be oh, my feeling about that. No, I thought she was rocking it. I mean, I just I love the neckline, the arms out. I thought she looked gorgeous. My number two was. Patty Cripps's girlfriend. She was in the green sequins. I don't know what oh, it was yes. like, Caro, yeah, in no. real life. A bit mermaidy. A bit mermaidy. Mm. Ruby didn't like the mermaid aspect. I thought she looked gorgeous and it was simple and elegant. And my number number three, sorry, was Lockie Neal's wife, Julie, in the lilac. Mm. I thought she looked it was a beautiful fresh spring mm. colour. She was she just was simple. Her hair was beautiful. I thought she really. Can I just it. say any? Can I just say to the fashionistas out there who are taking their lead uh, from the Brownlow fashions for anything that they might be attending in the next few months? That this is the rule of slits and splits. If you're going to do one, do one. Don't do three. So if you're going to have a plunging neckline, have have a skirt that is very simple and straight to the ground. If you're going to ha- if you've got great legs and you're going to have a split, have almost like a high neck collar and sleeveless. Or a boat neck, or you know, it's just something that's a, a bit more refined up the top, but show the leg. Don't have everything out. It's just not a good look. Well, I, 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 can't, I must say, you've floored me, both of you. That is a very comprehensive report on well, Brownlow gear, and you've kept it mainly positive. It's so, very positive, and we were watching, weren't we? We <laughs> were indeed. <laughs> Without actually... Um, In our tracksuits. Totally. We want to hear what you think, Cara. Oh, no. Well, I, I, I gave Lockie Neal's wife the three votes. She was sort of sitting near me, so I got a really good look at her. And I also love Josh Kennedy. Oh, I thought um, I, I thought Paddy Dangerfield's wife looked lovely. Look, they all... They all make such an effort. They all look incredible. Tell me about Laura McLaughlin's dress, Caro. Did it look as beautiful yeah. in real life as it did on the telly? She always looks incredible. She always looks incredibly elegant. Um, Carla Maguire looked really beautiful too, well, I, I didn't must see. say. We didn't photo. see Carla. No, no. And that's that, the annoying thing for the, yeah. bo- the bods at home. You only get a certain number of yeah. people that you see. Isn't it frustrating, Anna? They're we- on the table next to us. Uh, Laura's always does something Long and slim, and um, no, we had a good chat to her. No, I thought she looked beautiful. And who were you dressed by, Caro? <laughs> Scanlon and Theodore Corey. Um, but you know, they well, yes, I just went in a few weeks ago and said, What do you reckon? And I've I bought a dress that I will be able to dress up, dress down. I love but, the belt um, yeah. aspect, it was teamed with a gold chain belt, which I haven't done for many years, Anna, since we were teenagers. Carol, I thought you were really rocking the Scanlon and yeah, Theodore. So it looked if, great. If anybody would like to see photographs of Caro and her daughter Clem, they are on our Don't Shoot Pod Instagram account. And in fact, Clem Which was, means my phone will go off now Clem again. was in Scanlon and Theodore as well. She now, gorgeous. the subject of Clem brings me to my crush of the week. Are we able to move on, Corrie? Please do. We, this was someone I mentioned two weeks ago in the now famous 100th podcast that unfortunately didn't, <laughs> didn't make it to the <laughs> – didn't really make <laughs> it into the public. But, well, it um, did for a moment and then we – it was a fabulous night at the bookshop and we all had a great time and we'll be doing another event, I think, Corrie, later in the year. But my crush of the week was the one I mentioned two weeks ago. I just wanted to mention him again because I'm so proud of my son, Ned, another child, who has been to the Brownlow before, probably enjoyed it, probably not as much as Clem did last <laughs> night. And um, although Clem was back after a five-year ban, remember, yes, after her right. behaviour with Matt Prittis five years ago when she tried to high-five him on the way to the um, the big stage. She was younger then. But isn't it interesting that Ned is, is my godson and Clem is your goddaughter and I have the better-behaved godchild? No. Well, <laughs> they Anna, you racy godmother, you. Well, I hope so. I, hope, I hate to go on about my children, but they are both stars in their own right, as is Rose. But Ned's made a film. It's called Green Light. He's been working on it now for three years. It's a documentary, as you both know, about medicinal cannabis. It opens in Melbourne at the Nova Cinema on October 1, next Tuesday. It opens Australia-wide on October 10. He received three and a half stars from David Stratton in The Australian. Unfortunately, they spelled Donahue wrong in the review. But apart from that, 
I reckon three and a half stars. You know stars. what, Car- they won't be in 10 years' time. Well, let's hope so, Corrie. It is a fascinating story. Ned got access to some fascinating people who were prepared to take big risks to advocate their absolute belief in why medicinal cannabis has to be legalised and has to be less expensive. Um, I haven't seen it. I'm deliberately waiting till next week. But, Ned, congratulations. You are my crush of the week. Yes, and ours too. And we'll be there cheering on the movie. I now need to mention our sponsor, Vital Smarts, because they look after my favourite segment in the show, Corrie, BSF. It stands for Book, Screen and Food. Let's face it, we've all been in a situation where our emotions have controlled the conversation. We say something we don't really mean or we say what we do say lands very badly. That's why we were being careful talking about the Brownlow fashions today. We've had a Vital Smarts session. Well, (laughs) yes, I mean, I think Vital Smarts would have liked a bit more honesty, but I don't think it's required when we're talking about people's physical appearance. But by learning to real speak-up skills, you will be able to control the tough conversations and have them go well. Visit vitalsmarts.com.au forward slash DSTM to find out more. Corrie. You have a book. I do, Caro, but you also have a book in our food section, so I'm going to be super quick with this book. If you are looking for a beautiful gift for somebody over the next couple of months, thinking Christmas or significant birthdays, and they are people who have a love of history and a love of gardens and beautiful Melbourne homes, the book I recommend is Cranlana. It's the Cranlana, the first 100 years, the house, the garden, the people by my dear friend, Michael Smith, who used to be arts editor of The Age. Michael has uh, been brought into the Meyer family fold to do this book, which celebrates 100 years of owning Cranlana in Turek, a beautiful home with beautiful gardens. The property was bought the year that Sydney Meyer uh, married Merlin Bailieu, and it became their home for themselves and their four children. Tragically, Sydney Meyer died of a massive heart attack in 1934, just as he was walking the streets of um, Turek having his morning walk, but Merlin continued uh, as one of Melbourne's great society hostesses. Michael has written a beautiful book. This book is full of ephemera, letters, old photographs, all the Maya clan, which is now over 100 people going down to Generation 5, have contributed different um, photos and things. It's such a beautiful book, but particularly it is a book about the history of Melbourne, the development of our suburbs, and this gorgeous home and this vision that this extraordinary businessman had. So Cranlana, $80, published by Hardy Grant. That's my book this week. And Anna, you've been to see Downton Abbey, which I'm dying to see. I have, and I can't believe you two podcasters haven't seen it. Look, I know. We're, we've been busy. We're very ashamed. All right. Look, it's probably for Downton Abbey fans only, but it's a two-hour period drama film that I think doesn't disappoint. It's written by Julian Fellows, the show's original creator. So you feel that it is like an episode of Downton brought to the big screen. And all the favourite key characters get a run. They all have their own story arc and moments to shine. Even the fabulously named dog, the Labrador Isis, is back. (laughs) Perhaps not the Isis we knew, but it's pretty much the same. Um, Maggie Smith is superb. She steals every scene she's in and she's actually really funny. So she she's a complete standout. Does she get the best lines like normal? She does get the best lines, but she delivers them with just such dry wit. And she's just great. Um, it's a sumptuous soap opera on the big screen. The costumes are incredible. I mean, absolutely so incredible. So when is this one set again? It's set... It's After actually, World War One. Yes. Yeah. It's not... It, I think it's set really... You know, when the last Downton was. which right, 1920s. I, yeah. So yeah. it's still got the... Inc- the flapper sort of costume, it's isn't it? It's a bit flapper. There's lots of sequins. There's lots of beadings. I mean, the gear they wear just down to dinner. Corrie, it puts our tracksuits and our uggies to shame, oh. is all I can say. And it's got its full pomp and ceremony. So you've just got everything. And the main storyline focuses on the king and queen having a sleepover at Downton. But the film... So that'd be George V and... Queen Mary. Queen Mary. And actually, the actors really look like them, I have to say. And it's Queen Mary's penchant for the odd bit of... Kleptomania. (laughs) Which Mum has always talked about when she reviewed the book in Corrie's shop. Does that get a run? Funnily enough, it's Queen Mary's um, dresser that is the um, light-fingered... But oh. I'm not giving away, no spoiler alert there. But not, I mean, not only is it about the sleepover at Downton and all that that entails, but it also examines 
homosexuality, which I was slightly surprised. I didn't think would really go there. But the butler discovers that he's not the only gay in the village. Oh. It looks, well, I think he. I think he discovered that though. Oh, in the television series. Just you wait and see. Okay. He, he's certainly not the Is only. Is there tension gay. between the two sisters still there? No, no, they're much more loved up now because you know. Um, is it Edith? Yeah. Edith has got married, not obviously to the man she really loves, but slightly boring. But you know, no, she's happy, and her story arc's good, and good things happen to her. So no, and she's not nearly as jealous of Mary because she's got the good home as well. Like she's not stuck at Downton; she's got the good pile just down the road. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so we, we do the homosexuality. We look at women's rights with Daisy. You know, the young cook. She's at her bolshy best. There's death. I'm not giving anything away. And it also obviously looks at the changing role of the British upper class. And Carson's there. I was just about to say, so there's the usual upstairs, downstairs shenanigans and Carson's called back from retirement by Lady Mary to save the day. Oh, I can't Need I say more? No, go and see it. Oh, we have to go, Carol, when the footy's over. Well, it's time for food, and and look, we, I don't want to go on about this too much, but two things happened to me last week, Corrie. Two two things caught my eye: an article in the Age Epicure about the death of the dinner party, and a book given to me by our friend Eloise Hudson, a great friend of the podcast, the Australian Hostess Cookbook, edited by Hannah Pan. Girls, this is bloody hysterical. <laughs> There is, there is a great. They're all different. I'm looking sections. at the photos you're flicking through. A veranda Nothing, nothing's party. really caught my eye. A What's summer, summer dinner. dinner. The house trained hostess dinner with a view of the harbour. That won't be us. A veranda party. The house trained husband is so funny. A party trained husband. Um, all the good things that um, you need to do. Train your man early. He's worth a kitchen full of time saving devices. My <laughs> husband's party chores include being responsible for the drinks, seeing that gleaming glasses are on hand for pre dinner drinks, dinner wines and after dinner liqueurs and brandy. Water glasses are necessary. But they, they have all these state winners, right? And one of them is in praise of Perth. And our Perth winner, whose name is Mrs. Joan Pope of Claremont, goes through what she does and she does, you know, how she lays out. I mean, they all do what you do like four days before, three days before, you know, the countdown to the big night. <laughs> but Mrs. Perth, Mrs. Claremont, who does La Bonne Soup followed by pot-roasted beef, the dessert is Good Pud, which is a favourite apple crumble, the cheese platter, the fruit bowl and the almond tray. Um, at some point, their, their international guests have to be driven back to their hotel by the husband. Um, she's avoided the background music, but as I take the tray of coffee cups, cream and sugar into the living room, we will offer the freedom of the bookcases and a choice of and, and a choice of relaxed recorded music while we chat. Blah blah blah. Everyone goes. It's time for farewells. While my husband drives our guests back to their hotel, I will do the last roundup by washing the remaining dishes and putting away any food, feeling secretly proud bracket smug of being mother, <laughs> organizer, multi-purpose cook, gardener, kitchen maid, waitress. And dishwasher. Oh, Mrs. Claremont, <laughs> get your husband back there. Toot to sweet and get him doing the bloody washing up. Next week, I'm going to take you into the world of the single gals party, which is Miss Susan Watt of Melbourne, we Victoria. We could actually just I think that could be the rest of the... Yeah, that could be a lot more exciting. Mrs. Claremont, cream with your coffee. I mean... Even coffee, it's There's hilarious. An, an evening with Pondu, a party in a flat, which takes me <laughs> to the death of the dinner party in The Age last week. So they basically give all the reasons why people don't entertain anymore, including mental illness and hoarding, which I think is a bit depressing in a food section. But anyway, living too far away. Why would hoarding put you off having a dinner party? Because you don't want you embarrassed for people to come to your house. Feral kids, feral animals, tra- traumatic memories from that 2002 flopped souffle and Corrie. We've both had, you know, things that haven't oh, exactly worked out. but we man out. up, Carol. We go oh. back the next week and try and cook it again. But then they go into dinner party solutions years. and how you make it simple and how you can go back to having a dinner party and how it doesn't have to turn from, you know, spag, spag bowl into smoked salmon and slow-roasted lamb. One couple come up with an annual menu menu each January and serve the same meal at monthly dinner parties for the whole year. 
Well, I'm oh. sorry, Anna. If you're going to be doing yeah. that, can I be there in January, not December? <laughs> Talk about tired. Well, no, but if you were in December, she would have perfected it by then. So it would be better to go in December rather than January when she's just got her, her new wheels on. And Anna, Anna, no, but what if you were a repeat guest? You'd be going, oh, Christ, not Anna's. Well, no, that's the point. You, inter- you have 12 di- lots of guests. They- I always just have the same people. But then you've knocked off everyone. There no. is one, and then they also say, if you're worried about the mess, and Anna, this is another one of yours, you always say you only really need to clean the tush, and that's it. Mm. It's a good idea to give the bathroom a quick wipe down, but otherwise, <laughs> try not to be too concerned. I scoop the clutter and random socks into a box or crate to deal with later. So that's from The Age last week. It was an interesting article, but quickly before we move on, girls, have we all stopped giving dinner parties? Well, you you guys are coming to my place for dinner in a couple of weeks, Can't so wait. clearly not. No, well, I love having people to dinner. It forces you to tidy up. You get out some good recipes. You're thrilled that you've actually given the kitchen a go. And who doesn't like entertaining at home? I love it's it. You brilliant. don't have to drive. I know. You but never. I, ha- you can just stagger off to bed. But, as you, but as you both know, I'm a real fan of Dunch. So... You yeah. ask people around at three, oh, or, four, I don't three or four do o'clock. I, I like it at it. yours. But yeah, three or four. Oh, well, I won't ask you again. No, I, no, I like it at yours. But three or four o'clock, so that means everybody can get about their business in the morning, You know, do their sport or play golf or do their shopping or whatever it is they do, and they have a brunch or a light lunch, and then they arrive at your place at three or four o'clock. Who doesn't love a glass of champs at that time of day? It feels a bit naughty. You serve dinner at six. You have a good three or four hours around the table. Everybody's home by ten. And it's do you cook, Corrie, a continental menu with pumpernickel savouries? <laughs> That's another one out of my Australian hostess I think hostess we, next week, can we revisit this hostess It cookbook? is so funny. No, well, I agree. I mean, I tend to be, I'm not lazy, but I tend to put it all on the kitchen bench and you come and serve yourself. Yeah, Anna, I think that's great. I love that. I think that. that's the best way to eat. I, the, honestly, the, the days of kind of plating up and making sure everybody has the meat and free veg and everything, I think people do prefer to just dig in and grab what they and want. If you don't like tomatoes, you don't have them. Or if you're not eating meat that week, you just go on the beautiful salads. Yeah, but I you agree. you do plate up, Anna. You're pretty good at plating. No, up. I've been just doing you know the bake, the chicken bake, the otterlingi, and putting it down army style, yep. and just saying serve yourself. Yeah, look, I I don't think you do I, need good nippers. I have to say, you need good serving equipment. <laughs> I'm I'm really tired of going to what the old wooden spoon. Just <laughs> well, just, you know, yeah, well, just have it. There's, there's, there's a dessert on. spoon, you know, to serve yeah. up the mash or something. Not yeah. good enough. That was BSF, and I think we shall shall next week in now BSF. Carol will revisit the hostess cookbook. Thanks to Vital Smarts, by learning real speak up skills, you'll be able to control the tough conversations and have them go well. Visit vitalsmarts.com.au forward slash DSTM to find out more. Corrie, you're grumpy. Well, I think you're grumpy about the same topic. I think we're all grumpy about this topic. So Mm -hmm. the climate change march last week, which saw more than 150 countries around the world participate in this, Australia was was very obviously a part of it. And in fact, uh, some of our children here around the table protested and went marching, which was great. The coverage of this climate change march, which involved pretty much all the the world's major communities, has received such a backlash of conservative negative coverage. Uh, Yes, Fox and Friends, we understand that. But the Sydney Telegraph, and yes, we do understand Alan Jones is in Sydney, but Alan Jones just went off in a tirade of abuse about kids taking time off school. Really? It just makes me so agitated that people can't get with the program. I I saw the interview on Insiders that Fran Kelly did with um, the the federal minister involved, and he sort of said, oh, it's great to see you know, young people taking an interest in society or whatever, but, you know, it's a pity it's at an expense of their education. I mean, I just find that so... Are they listening to themselves? Well, Alan, a few hours off school, please. Mm. Alan Jones said it was that the, the reason the children were marching is because their parents had brainwashed them, and this was he likened it to Goebbels in the Third Reich. Now, first of all, <laughs> he, the children of Australia, the children, to the children just, of Australia are actually smarter than that, Alan, and they they. And, and they, they're concerned. They're concerned. And, and our I, children are But also involved. the parents. I mean, it's just on so many levels. It's just such an appalling response. Our children are all involved. And even Neil Mitchell, who has, was bagged at last time, actually tried to make sense of it last week. And he said, you know, there are young people who are, including one of my children, are really, well, I awake at night worrying about this. 
And it is so interesting, the age divide that this whole issue has created. And they're going to be the ones who have to deal with it. They're leading the way. And I think they're doing an unbelievable job. Mm, I do too. Um, so that's what I'm grumpy about. It sounds like we all are. Six, it's it's six time for six quick questions, Corrie. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to introduce that because I was going to ask you the first question. Ask away. Why would someone leak to the Wall Street Journal that Scott Morrison had wanted Hillsong Church Pastor Brian Houston to be one of the gang at the White House state dinner and the request was knocked back? What's well, the political shenanigan there? I think that was mischievous White House behaviour. I think it was leaked. It had to have come from the White House, that leak, because they would have been the ones that saw the initial um, list that was given by you, Scott Morrison. You, you don't think there's a rat in the Morrison ranks? No, I reckon it's White House, and I think that's I think that's what most of the Canberra insiders are believing too. And I just think they thought it was an interesting story, particularly because um, I don't think it was necessarily Donald Trump engineered, even though he doesn't. You know, there's a bit of tension over China. I just think it was one of those really good little pieces of gossip, as Scott Morrison called it. But, but gossip can be true, and um, the fact that he has a he doesn't have a dodgy past, but his father does. I think they just thought that would be. Um, Something of interest to derail the Australian Prime Minister. Mm. Caro, um, Caro, that's, that's me. <laughs> God, you've had a late night on the turf. <laughs> oh, dear. But if you stick with the one beverage, Corrie, you're okay. Anna, the op shop move. Sacred yes. Heart Mission is moving. Now, tell us about it. Has it revealed any funny or extraordinary discoveries in the pack-up? There has been lots of discoveries, but on a personal front, I was fairly happy when I got to work yesterday and there was the tiger onesie hanging up oh, yeah. near where I hang out at work with a note, Anna, wear this on Saturday. So I was pretty happy with that. But on a more important um, topic, yes, the op shop's on the move. We're moving to 262 Chapel Street, Windsor, which is opposite the Pran Town Hall. And we're moving on October the 10th, which is a Thursday, and we're having an opening party from 6 o'clock. Furniture, vintage clothes, art, Beautiful carpets, bric-a-brac, you name it, we've got it. Chicken sandwiches, champagne. So please come down, say hello, and pick up some fabulous wares. And will, is there bargaining potential or are you going to have a, a flat no, rate? No. It, it, everything has a price tag? Everything has a price because there's so many people that you just can't bargain. I mean, it's just too – we've done this before and it is just too insane. But 262 Chapel Street, Windsor. And Anna might be wearing the pink T-shirt with the big tiger on that she found at the op shop some years ago and gave me one as well. Uh, Corrie, 25th anniversary of Friends. Who was your favourite big-name star guest appearance? Well, there were quite a few. Um, the Brad Pitt over the years, Danny DeVito, Tom Selznick, Susan Sarandon and so on. But my favourite of all was the episode when Robin Williams and Billy Crystal just happened to wander into the Central Perk Cafe. It was only a two-minute two segment. The blokes were actually filming something else on a lot nearby, ran into the cast of Friends who said, well, you know, if you want to kind of drop in, that'd be great. They walked into this set. They had nothing prepared, Caro and Anna, nothing. It is the funny – you can YouTube it because, it's, of course, it's viral. It's been viral for years. But at one point, they sit down on the sofa – and, on uh, the friend sofa. Yeah, on the friend sofa. I love the friend sofa. And, and Monica is in the middle of telling a story, completely interrupted by these two chaps who say, could you move over? There's nowhere to sit. So these two randoms sit down, being Robin Williams and Billy Crystal. And Robin Williams has a weird kind of South American-esque sort of accent and says, <laughs> I have a feeling my wife is sleeping with her gynecologist. And Billy Crystal says, gosh, how do you know? And Robin replies, well, you know, he's got access. And it just sort of goes on from there. It is so – of course, the friends stop talking about whatever they were talking about. They completely listen. Um, they, Joey tries to jump in with a comment and they say, excuse me, this is a private conversation. It is really funny. YouTube it, everyone. Um, that would be my favourite. Now, Caro, last week with the Outer Sanctum Girls, we talked about playing Monopoly, if you remember. What we was did. the one street or utility that you used to most covet? Oh, Covet. Covet. What did I say? Covet. Yeah. Sorry. Covet. Can't um, read my own writing. Oh, look, definitely the reds and the yellows, you know, Piccadilly, mm. Trafalgar Square, etc. They weren't too expensive. They weren't your Mayfair. They weren't your Regent Street, but they weren't the cheapies like Old Kent Road. So they yielded a good rent, Corrie, mm. a good rent without being too expensive. So that was mine. Uh, Corrie, your favourite or your latest favourite Elizabeth Warren moment, Okay, please. the whole thing has turned. Um, the Democrats' uh, race for presidency is 
is on Elizabeth Warren's rally in New York City's most iconic Washington Square Park, Caro and Anna. 20,000 people rocked up. Warren was presidential for the first time. She spoke about a lot of big picture issues, including anti-corruption proposals, and that's, I think, probably going to be her uh her mission now because it resonates with everyone. And then she did four hours of selfies right down to the very last person in the queue. And when she was asked, why are you devoting all this time? She said, because people are coming to see me and it's the very least that I can do when they've given up their time to see me is to see me. If they want to stand in the queue and have a selfie, I will make sure everyone has a selfie. Isn't that just, I love her. I think she's great. Um, Anna, you have a GLT for us. I do, and my GLT is a post-grand final GLT. And look, it's... No, No, and we all may need something to do once we have to resume our normal lives. And look, it sounds a bit suburban, but it is feed your gardenias. It is the perfect time. (laughs) No, don't laugh. What's wrong with that? I thought you were going to have like a hangover. (laughs) So when Hamish McLaughlin said at the Brownlow, you know, what are we all going to do? I thought... Anna thought... Feed my garden. Not that she'd have a hangover cure or... No, it's something much more practical and so I'm saying... you thinking about that at the last bounce of the ball, right? I will. Ten more minutes to go. I'm thinking to myself, get to the supermarket, buy the biggest box of Epsom salts that you can find because the magnesium in that makes your gardenias magnificent. You might be scoffing now, but you won't be scoffing. So what's your, what is your uh, you ratio? You won't get yellow leaves, Corrie. What's your ratio get- with Epsom salts? Oh, I just pour it into a bucket, perhaps a little bit of hot water to dissolve it, yeah, and then fill the top. But it you up. don't overdo it because I overdid it once. I think I put the whole box in, and that oh no, you just havoc. you know pour it in. And my sister would say feed her orchids, but I don't do orchids, so. And Anna, oh. once you've used the Epsom salts on the gardenias, the rest of it can go in your next batch of lemon cordial. Oh, your lemon cordial or your bath. There's nothing the old Epsom salt <laughs> is not good for. I'm, I'm horrified that my GLT's well, been dissed. <laughs> that's something to look forward to next week. <laughs> now, are we going to give our grand final tip now, girls? No, no, but, I think we should do it as a separate bonus episode. All right, Corinne, we'll be talking with our tipping winner in the bonus footy tipping episode as well. Everybody, thank you so much. Anna, thank you for coming in. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Anna. And I do love your GLT. I will be doing it next week. And all the the best with the move, Sacred Heart Mission Move. What's the new address again? 262 Chapel Street. It's a wonderful, wonderful place to visit. And very famous guests often come in, Corrie, just to find something to do with their children over Sunday. You... No, no, much more famous than me. Um, Everybody, tell your family and friends to subscribe to our podcast. We'd love to have you join us. Hit the sign-up button on the Don't Shoot in the Messenger Facebook page to receive weekly updates. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter using the handle at Don't Shoot Pod. And you can email us, please. We do love your feedback. Feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Thank you again to Vital Smarts. Thank you to Anna Barry and Jane Neild, our wonderful producer, and Corrie. Don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) (laughs) That's the worst tiger I've ever heard. Oh, dear me.